He covers the Toronto Raptors for the Athletic Toronto. We welcome Blake Murphy onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Blake? Good. How are you doing, man? Pretty good. Uh, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. So, um, I think besides the uh, James Harden trade, which I want to ask you a little bit later on, um, the most dominating news has been the pandemic in the NBA. So um, before we kind of dive into the Toronto Raptors, I just want to get your overall impressions on just how the the league is handling the COVID um, pandemic and just in terms of, you know, games being postponed, um, just players being sat out. Um, How do you think that the league has handled it so far? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a mess, and obviously the league anticipated this to some degree. That's why they only released half the schedule with that midseason break and the flexibility to uh, tack on extra makeup games the second half of the season. Um, you know, there have been not even just reports, you know, Fred Van Bleet said this as much the other day, that, uh, you know, there's also the, the league expected January to be the worst of it because vaccines aren't available yet, and the post-holiday kind of boom of cases around the country. Um, but it's not great. You know, anytime you have to check the schedule listing every day to see if uh, the games you were looking forward to are actually being played. And every time, you know, part of your job as a reporter becomes wondering if uh, a player is going to get this deadly virus that, yes, hasn't, uh, you know, hasn't gotten to the level of hospitalizing a player yet, but we really don't know a lot about still, um, you know, it changes the energy of the season. And then I think beyond just that, the quality of basketball has not been uh, particularly strong compared to, say, the bubble where, uh, you know, the, the pool was shorter, smaller, and, and you had um, some really great basketball and, and a really good playoff season. Um, that has not been there early on with, you know, spike and blowouts and things like that. So, um, you know, it's it's unsettling for a lot of reasons, most of them moral, also optically uh, but this is uh, this is what we're in, and the league has shown that they're not going to uh, slow down. They're going to keep pushing through. So uh, as we go through it, I guess you just you know you hope that the the rising number of cases, not just in in the United States and Canada, but also among the NBA player base, uh, can get under control. Because 16 in a week, or 16 new ones in a week, and and the number of cancellations that have happened, it's. Uh, not really the the most fun time to be following the NBA news cycle, uh, blockbuster trades aside. For sure. Um, to that point, I wanted to ask you, just in covering the league, do you find less enjoyment this season compared to seasons past? Can you kind of walk our listeners through just, just covering the NBA as a whole in terms of like doing interviews via Zoom call? And I know I believe you you went, actually went down to Tampa and covered the team for a little bit. Can you just kind of go over just kind of your experience um, this season and particularly just covering the Raptors? Yeah, it's, it's weird. You know, Tampa Bay was what it was. I was there for about two weeks and you know, other than going to uh, a preseason game and a regular season game and checking out the Raptors' new facility and stuff, it was mostly just staying in the hotel room, um, you know, both because Florida has a lot of cases and also out of respect for, uh, you know, the players or staff that I would be, not that I got close to anyone based on the current protocols, but you, you want to be as safe as possible for everyone. Um, so that element was weird. You know, in terms of enjoyment, I'm very, very fortunate that, uh, first of all, that through all of this, I've remain employed uh so i absolutely don't want to you know complain about the the way that this whole situation has shifted my job um i just think you know there is there is an emotional layer of you know it's it's tiring to constantly 
uh, be talking about, you know, the risks the league is taking and the unsafe setup that, that, you know, it might be unsafe at times for players or, you know, the big thing, especially covering the Raptors where they're all displaced for the season, the mental health toll that this is probably all taking. So, um, you know, obviously I still love my job and I still love basketball very much, but it is, you know, there there is some uh, emotional dissonance there with not loving the situation that the, the players and teams are in uh, while also, you know, appreciating that I have a job still and have a team to cover. For sure. Um, uh, to that point, also, I, w- I wanted to ask you in terms of the Raptors playing in Tampa, just because, uh, you know, the other teams in the league have the luxury of playing in their home arenas. There's a little bit of normalcy there, considering the time stab we're in. But Toronto's t- totally put out of place. And I wanted to ask you, what is their mental mind frame? Just forgetting what's going on on the court, just as people, just in terms of, you know, not playing in Toronto, the, the fans of the Raptors, um, there probably wouldn't be any fans allowed in the arena anyway, but it's their team playing in, in just a, you know, in another country. Um, how do you think this is taking a toll on the Raptors organization as a whole, that this um, not playing in their home arena this season? Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know how much of it is uh, the arena necessarily. Like, obviously, there was that awkwardness of, uh, you know, fans kind of being neutral and cheering for plays and cheering for players rather than the Raptors. Um, and that sucks. But you look around the league and, and most teams don't have fans in the arena anyway. You, you kind of just have to deal with it. I think the bigger thing is, you know, there's a cumulative psychological load of, you know, first of all, playing during a pandemic. Second, uh, having this quick turnaround between seasons. And then on top of that now, you know, while I was down there, some guys were still scrambling around to, you know, find a place to live. And, could I, could I find a place that accommodates my family? Do I want to bring my family down there or do I go, you know, two, three months maybe between times seeing them? And I think that obviously, you know, that's part of the NBA job to some degree. You do spend a lot of time on the road. There is a chance that you're going to have to pack up and move, uh, but that's kind of magnified to an even larger degree right now. And, and I think, you know, I, I hope that teams have, and, and I'm sure a lot of them have, uh, put, you know, some mental health services in place for players because, it is exhausting. You know, you're, you're traveling around on a more condensed schedule than usual. If you're the Raptors, you, you have the heaviest travel schedule in the league in the first half of the season. You're not going home and sleeping in your own bed, really. Uh, you know, if, you, if you've traveled before or uh, had short-term housing, I don't, I don't think a month or two is enough for that place to feel like home uh, yet. And, and then, you know, you're concerned about, are you going to get the virus? Are you going to give the virus to your family and stuff like that? So uh, I do think you know, it's one of those things where every team is facing some degree of it, and it's not going to be it, it, the results aren't going to be uniform across every player and every team. But uh, it certainly um, kind of hangs over everything, I guess. And, and I don't think you'll hear any teams, including the Raptors, uh, use it as an excuse. But uh, you know, we've seen instances already of players missing games for personal reasons, and, and then obviously the number of uh, the number of games paused and stuff like that it's a uh, i there's no way around that it is a factor in the 2020 2021 season so in saying that what do you make of the struggles that the raptors are going through on the court and in particular i want to ask you about pascal siakam um since that goes all the way back to when the nba was in a bubble um his stats i mean have been down and he has been struggling even though it seems like i think this past uh, week or so there seems to be a little bit of a breakthrough but 
I guess my question is, should there be legit concern about just the Raptors moving forward once the pandemic is over and once everything's back to normal of this team? Um, what do you kind of make of kind of Pascal's um, struggles as of late? Yeah, you know, I think they've, I think they've turned a corner a little bit um, this last, you know, three, four, five games. Um, back to scoring a little more efficiently, back to getting to the front of the rim, uh, a big step as a playmaker and, and kind of anticipating what the defense is going to do and creating for others out of that. So um, those things are encouraging. You know, obviously he missed high-profile game winners in back-to-back one-point losses. So that's going to, uh, you know, you wonder what kind of effect that has on, on the confidence of the next time you have to take that shot. Um, but I think, you know, Siakam's an interesting example of, uh, what the effect of all of this has been, where, uh, you know, he was in Toronto and he's not a U.S. citizen. So for visa purposes, he spent most of the league's first hiatus in Toronto. Um, and the, the restrictions were a little tougher. And he came under some criticism because he said that, you know, he hadn't played in a while and he didn't skirt the rules and, and go out and try and get in, in gyms and stuff like that. And, and then I think, you know, there's a mental element of it, too. And, and if you've ever struggled in, in your work or, or with anything, really, you know how those things can kind of snowball. And I think, you know, by the time the Celtics series rolled around, uh, he was clearly uh, carrying some weight on his shoulders and, and I think had lost some of the confidence in his drive and finish game. Um, you know, it was obviously frustrating to see that carry over to the start of this season because he thought he had a really great offseason. Um, you know, he was benched for a game for basically what amounts to you know, body language and frustration boiling over. So um, not the best of starts, but I think, you know, I think he's come out of it as an individual player these last four or five games. And I think, uh, you know, he's he's maybe started to recognize, again, what made him so successful in the early parts of last year. Um, you know, might still be some up and down from here, but I think he's, he's trending in the right direction. Um, and I would, you know, obviously that's... The, for the second year in a row, kind of the biggest story the Raptors are facing is the biggest thing they need to know as they continue building this team for the future is, you know, is Siakam a number one? Is he a number two? Um, what does that look like? And just how much can he handle? So he's still going to be given all of these opportunities to figure it out. So in terms of the Raptors fans and I guess the organization as well, how seriously should they take this season in terms of making roster moves? Um, should it just be kind of a pass given to this season to some extent? Because considering all the insane circumstances that this team has to go through, I mean, you know, NBA fans can be pretty harsh on social media and all they see is just the team struggling. But as you outlined earlier, um, this team was going through a lot ever since last year. Um, so in trying to improve upon things when the pandemic is is finished, hopefully, I guess in terms of looking at this season, I mean, how seriously should we really, uh, you know, Raptors fans pay attention to um, Pascal Siakam's struggles or anybody else on the team um, compared to a normal season? Yeah, um, you know, that's going to come down to each individual's preference. And, and I think, you know, it's a... Uh, I guess it's it's fortunate timing that this always profiled as a bit of a transition year anyway, where, you know, as far back as when they acquired Kawhi Leonard, you know, some of my writing was, hey, if, if Leonard leaves, you know, you're going to have to take a step back and see what's there with the young guys, see what's there with the, the rest of Kyle Lowry. Uh, obviously, that shouldn't be taking place to the extent of being two and eight. They should probably be four and six or five and five, somewhere around there. Um, and 
you know, it's it's tough because this was supposed to be a transition year, but the longer the um, the poor start drags on, the more maybe you have to consider, hey, this isn't, you know, this wasn't going to be a contention year anyway. It is this bizarre year where we're playing in Tampa Bay and everything's off to a terrible start. You know, it'll hit a certain point where the Raptors have to look at taking an even more aggressive step back and looking at selling a Kyle Lowry or, or shopping some of the other pieces on the roster. Um, you know, I, I still think they see Siakam, Van Vliet, and Anobi as kind of the core trio that they'll continue building around um, for the future. And it, so in, in that sense, you know, if you end up in the playoffs and get those guys another playoff series or two of experience, that's great. Um, but, you know, if 2-8 and eight swells to 5-15 and 15 or something like that, you've really got to take a look at, um, you know, what the market might offer for what helps you 2021 and beyond. Um, and I think, you know, they'd like to avoid that, I think, with Lowry in the last year of his contract and, and how much they value winning as, a, as an organization and as a culture builder. I think they'd like to avoid that and just kind of give it a run here, see, see what happens in the what shakes out in the playoffs and maybe even add a piece at the center position uh, at the deadline. But you can't do that if you're you know, 5 and 15, 7 and 13, even you, you, you got to be realistic about that. So, th- so the poor start is kind of. I think put a magnifying glass to these next 10 games or so where, um, you know, you they're comfortable with this transition year where they're an okay playoff team that don't make a ton of noise. Um, but they're, they, they're not in a spot where being the 8, 9, 10 seed in the East is doing them any favors. So they'll, they'll have to look at those things a little more seriously if the skid continues. Does the James Harden trade accelerate that process of – the Raptors maybe making some off-season moves a little bit earlier or just maybe in-season trades or whatever um, things to improve their current roster. Does the the James Harden trade have any effects regarding how the Raptors are going to proceed or um, is that kind of separate in terms of the, the trajectory of what where Toronto wants to go? No, I think the bigger factor is probably just that they started so poorly and that if they thought they were one piece away, it's maybe been highlighted that they're more than one piece away. And, you know, who knows? Maybe they turn around and they go on this gangbusters run and they're they're back in kind of the three, four, five mix in the East. Um, but if they're kind of in that five, six, seven, eight mix instead, you know, does it make sense to give up future assets to add to this team in a way that takes away from future teams? Probably not. You know, had they started really well and, um, you know, then seen the Harden trade and wanted to get in the mix for, say, a Bradley Beal or, or something like that, or, hey, kick the tires on, on that subsequent Oladipo trade or something like that, um, you know, that makes a lot more sense if you if what you already have looks pretty good. Um, and again, you know, I, they're not as bad as 2-8, and eight, certainly. Uh, but I think that the combination of the Harden trade, the four start, the some of the other top East teams looking pretty good. You know, the Raptors have to be realistic about does a Bradley Beal level player push you to a significantly further place in the playoffs? You know, I don't know. They're certainly more fun if you get a Bradley sure. Beal and have some team control and stuff. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest thing is, you know, Giannis signed his extension and the Raptors have been cleared in space for 2021. I think the bigger thing is, you know, maybe now you're more willing to look at trades that take on 2021 salary. You just have to kind of take a holistic approach to, um, you know, how do you make sure that your next era, I guess, or next competitive window is maximized? And that 
you know, that might mean jumping early on a Beal type. That might mean keeping the cap space clear. That might mean dealing Lowry um, for future assets. It's it's a tough spot. It's, you know, obviously the toughest spot is being irredeemably bad and the best spot is being, uh, you know, kind of indestructibly good. And the hardest spot is probably not knowing which way to, to kind of lean. Like that in-between, you know, I don't like the term treadmill team or whatever because the Raptors were considered that and that kept them in a position to land a Kawhi Leonard and push for a title. Um, but trying to decide whether you're a buyer or a seller when you're kind of in the middle of the pack is a, is a tough spot to be in. And, and that's where, you know, again, I think these next 10, 15 games are huge for the Raptors. Uh, just not even the win-loss record, just to figure out which way you're going with this thing. And um, one last question. In terms of the overall league, um, Adam Silver took some heat a couple of days ago, just regarding, on Twitter at least, just regarding the pandemic as a whole. He's been getting, he has a pretty great reputation overall in the world of sports. And I just want to ask you, you covered this league and the Raptors uh, pretty closely when this thing is over, do you think these COVID troubles will have any kind of a lasting stain on his on his legacy? I just um, only reason I bring that up is because it just seems a lot of people were pretty just angry with the way um, the, the league has handled COVID so far. I've even seen some podcasts refusing to even cover the uh, the NBA until they improve um, their their COVID standards. So, do you think um, what we're seeing now with the league struggling with COVID? that's going to have long-lasting consequences to Adam Silver's reputation? Honestly, I think it depends a little how, how it goes from here. You know, I think the the big swing factor will be, are there players who suffer kind of long-term consequences of COVID, whether that's getting really sick or later down down the line, we find out that there are, you know, some longer-term things we didn't know about. The, the Keontae Johnson uh, thing stands out as, you know, we don't know a lot about the how it affects your heart or, or you know, even asymptomatic people, how it might affect your lungs with, with asymptomatic people showing lung scarring and stuff like that. So um, I think the real answer is we just don't know yet. I, I think the NBA has kind of coasted at times on, uh, you know, they like to have the reputation as the most progressive league and they are in some some uh, instances, uh, but a lot of that has uh, half has tended to be, you know, well, we're a little bit more progressive than the NFL and MLB. Uh, comparatively, you're progressive, which is not the same thing. And I, I think that COVID is a perfect example of that, where the NBA did the bubble, they did that better. Um, but then you turn around and you rush the relaunch of a season with less coherent protocols. And, you know, you're dealing with the same sorts of cancellations and heavy, um, you know, injured reserve COVID uh instances as MLB and NFL dealt with as well. Um, so I, I don't know. It's it's obviously hard to contextualize how we're going to look back at how sports handled uh, a completely novel pandemic. But I, I certainly I certainly do think the last year has been a reminder that while the NBA is maybe more progressive than some leagues, it is very much still a business and that dollar is going to dictate a, a lot of their moves and then you know, they'll, they'll make their decisions based on money and kind of the capitalist structure of pro sports, and then they'll massage the optics as best they can from there. Um, some of that earnestly with things like their activism in the bubble, um, some of that just kind of spin reputationally, uh, you know, the whole this league or whatever, whatever stuff. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm 
being wishy-washy here a little bit, but I, I don't think that the last year has been the, uh, the best look for the league, for sure. Well, Blake, thank you very much for uh, joining the uh, podcast. Please tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and on any projects or stories that you're working on um, for the new year. Yeah, you can find me at Blake Murphy ODC on Twitter. Um, I post most of my stuff there, uh, writing over at theathletic.com. And if you uh, are not a subscriber and would like to be in the you know, discount codes or promo links or whatever, you can always just DM me. Uh, I also host a music podcast called Columbia House Party that you can check out, especially if you're into uh, kind of early 2000s, mid 2000s, uh, Indian pop punk, uh, that kind of stuff. So check it out. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Blake, for um, taking time out of your uh, busy Thursday to join Hoosology. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on.